this windy morning. It's supposed to get windier later, from what I understand. Woohoo! So today we're going to talk about bitterness and unforgiveness. We're going to continue with unforgiveness. We're just going to dig a little bit deeper. And um, if God was going to intervene and interrupt man's free will, don't you wish he had stopped Adam from sinning? And we have to realize that God's not going to interrupt our free will. He says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But God said in Genesis 1, 26 and 29, he said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the face of the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for me. God's given us dominion over the earth. He also gave man a free will, but he does not, he will not override his free will, but he may try to influence us through the Holy Spirit and bring conviction, not condemnation, but he's trying to bring conviction to us. But most of the time, he won't force anybody to do anything. God is not one that forces. God is one that gently leads. If he has to be a little firm with us, he'll be firm with us, but he gently leads People in bitterness are trying to force their opinion and their ideas upon you. And we have to be careful. We're at the end of the age. I don't think anybody can doubt that. If you've got any kind of spiritual inkling, you could see we're, we're, we're coming to the end. I mean, this thing with cancel culture, I mean, everybody's offended at everything. I mean, it, it, it's, isn't it amazing that the things they're offended at? I mean, it's crazy. But we were warned in Matthew 24, 10 and 13, says, And then many will be offended and repelled and will begin to distrust and desert him whom they ought to trust and obey and will stumble and fall away and betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive and lead many into error. And the love of the great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. But he who endures to the end will be saved. So we know this, so we have to guard our heart. We have to guard our heart and be extra careful and keep our hearts free of unforgiveness and bitterness. You may be in a situation that's hard to bear, but don't become bitter. John fifteen five says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much fruit. However, apart from me... Apart, cut off from the vital union with me, you can do nothing. Bitterness cuts you off from God. You cannot afford to be apart from God because apart from God, you can do nothing. Apart from God, you will know nothing. We have to have the discernment of the Holy Ghost in this hour. We have to have it. So we have to stay free of unforgiveness and bitterness. Bitterness, remember the the devil works in the area of your mind. And 
he'll continue to keep presenting people and circumstances to tempt you to stay in envy, strife, jealousy, and every evil work, then you can sometimes become irrational. You ever seen bitter people? I mean, they, they say the, the, the most outrageous things. But bitterness, it's, bitterness is a very blinding spirit. It blinds. If you can think of a horse where the horse has got those blinders on, so it keeps the horse going one way. Bitterness does the same thing to people. It puts a blinder on their eyes so they can only see one thing. What do they see? That offense that they haven't let go of. You know, the thing that somebody did to them 10 years ago. You know, they can be offended against God. They could be offended against the church. Some people don't come back to church because the preacher didn't shake their hand 10 years ago. And they're out the door. And, you know, you don't know what they did to me or how they, what they said. And a lot of times it's like, who is this they that you're talking about? They, they did it. Somebody left the church and they said, well, it's not you, it's they. It's, it's those people. And it's like, okay, you know, whatever. I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and I can't talk to you because you're bitter. Apart from the vine, the branch dries out. We've already seen that many times when we were talking about past hurts and stuff. When God is positioned in your life first place, then you will not experience a dry prayer life if he's first place. Did you ever let your priorities get out of whack and God wasn't first place? What happened to your prayer life? It dried up. Just like a puddle out in that 105 degree Texas weather, it doesn't stay wet for long, does it? James 4, 7 and 8, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We need to submit to God. That's the, the prescription for being out of order. Submit to God, resist the devil. We're always trying to fight the devil, and God's saying, No, submit to God, resist the devil. If you submit to God, you've got like the army of angels around you, active. Isaiah 1, 19 and 20 says, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the word Lord has spoken it. It's not just saying yes to God's authority, though. It's doing it with the right attitude. You know you can say yes and have such bitterness in your heart that your yes doesn't mean anything. That's why we have to have discernment of the heart. It's all about attitude. See, you can see a lot, most of these things that we're talking about in, in victorious living is about our heart and about our attitude. To submit means not only to obey, but to be willing to obey. Submission requires right action and attitude. But if you don't involve your will with submission and you only obey just like a robot would obey, you can become secretly bitter in your obedience. And we look at the prodigal son, we look at his brother who obeyed his father, but his heart was far from what he was doing. And see, in that, there's all sorts of parallels with, you know, the religious person versus the non-religious, but we're not talking about that this morning. But the prodigal son's brother he, he obeyed his father, but he didn't have the heart of the father. And that's where we come, that's what we make 
have to make sure in our own lives that we have the heart of the Father. And what's God's heart? To seek and save the lost for reconciliation with one another. We have to have that heart. But we don't have to be doormats to it. Because I think a lot of Christians have been taught, well, we have to turn the other cheek. You know, and um, that scripture does not mean that we turn the other cheek and let them just do what they want. There's all kinds of things in turning the other cheek. Sometimes it's better to look away and not say anything, and then other times you need to confront it, just like God confronted evil. God doesn't just turn the other cheek. God confronts it, but he does it in his his right manner. Some people only do what they like to do. Have you noticed that? I mean, I've noticed that in my own life. I just, I, I excel at things I like to do organizing and stuff like that. I don't like to do that. I'm not really good at it, so I don't do it as much as I probably should. God may ask you to do something you don't want to do, but submission to authority will help you to grow up. Some people pick and choose what they will obey, and they become very self-righteous in their own obedience. Listen, just because you can do something and you like to do it doesn't mean that you're obedient to God. Submission to God means doing things that maybe we don't like to do with a good attitude. Let's turn to Luke eighteen nine to 14. He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves and were confident that they were righteous, that they were upright and in right standing with God, and scorned and made nothing of all the rest of the men. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand ostentatiously and began to pray thus before the God before and with himself. God, I thank you that I have am not like the rest of the men, extortioners, robbers, swindlers, unrighteous in heart and life, adulterers, or even like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I gain. But the tax collector, merely standing at a distance, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his breast, saying, O God, be favorable to me, the especially wicked sinner that I am. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified, forgiven and made upright and in right standing with God, rather than the other man. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles itself will be exalted." Sometimes we have that position of the publican when somebody's wronged us. You know, well, you know, I don't understand. I just do everything right. And I'm, you know, and we go to God like that. I tithe. I I work in the church. I pray. I do this and that. And why are they coming against me like this? I'm not like this person who's an adulterer and this person who's this, who's an alcoholic and a drunk. I'm not like that. And God's saying, well, you have an attitude problem. And sometimes when we come to God with unforgiveness in our heart, it's not the other person, it's our heart that needs to be changed. James 3.18, In the harvest of righteousness, of conformity to God's will and in thought and deed, is the fruit of the seed sown in peace by those who work for and make peace in themselves and in others, that peace meaning concord, agreement, and harmony between individuals with undisturbedness, in a peaceful mind, free from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts. God wants us to live in peace. Righteousness is the fruit of peace. 
Righteousness will seek the Lord's will. It's easy to let our emotions get all stirred up, but we must strive to stay in peace, especially in these last days. Every time you look at the news, every time you look at different things, it's easy to lose your peace. It's really easy. And it's easy to... I was looking this morning and I saw Kroger is going to they're going to start surcharging their unvaccinated workers as the first of the first of the year. They're going to charge them $50 a month. So I was a little upset about that and I had to get my emotions under control because if I shop anywhere, it's at Kroger. I love Kroger. I love the one at Crossroads. And I said, well, I can't shop there anymore. But I can't get, I can't be unforgiving against Grover. Grover, it's just, you know, it, it. We can't get stirred up over these things that we read in the news. We have to stay in peace. Have to stay in peace. Anytime there's a conflict, there's an opportunity for a bitter root to develop. So we have to learn to love our neighbor, and but we have to learn to stand up for the truth. Bitterness is a great tool for the devil because it blinds the victim to God's grace and mercy, and the person cannot see anything good because they get consumed. I mean, you've seen people in the final stages of bitterness when that's all they talk about. That's all they think about is that wrong that was done. Jesus said in John 10, or John 15, 10 through 17, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the serveth knoweth not what his Lord does. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And what are we talking about? Fruit? Righteousness, the peaceable fruit. We need to stay in peace no matter what. I've often heard, and you probably have too, and I've sat in sessions where it says, well, there's two sides to every story. How many have heard that? Okay. And while I agree with the premise of that, that there definitely are two sides to every story, that doesn't mean that both sides have equal merit. Okay, the wife beater. Okay, he has a side. Okay, and she has a side. Whose side has better merit? I would vote for the woman's side. I don't care what happened to this man to make him a child beater or a wife beater. Sometimes we go far back into somebody's childhood just to find an excuse for their outrageous behavior instead of calling it sin. So there's two sides to the story, but not each one has equal merit. And I'm going to read some things from the Bible, and we're going to see how even in the Bible there were two sides, but they're not equal merit. And see, sometimes 
we get almost blackmailed because in this culture right now, there's two sides to the story of what's going on in our country. Some people want to be heard, but they have no merit to their story. Everything is racist right now. Everything is racist. There's no merit to that, and I I don't even want to hear, you know, well, we've got to have a conversation about racism. No, we do not have to have a conversation about that. But see, we're getting cowed because our thinking justice says, well, okay, well, there are two sides of the story. Okay, let's go back to the wife beater. There are two sides of the story, but they don't have equal merit. So, this is what we're going to look at. Bitter people always hold someone else responsible for their failings. You notice how the goalposts are moving in so many things? I mean, we were warned, we were warned about this, that, you know, well, this statue is racist and this, and then they started taking Teddy Roosevelt, and then they took down um, Thomas Jefferson because he owns, and, and this one was a racist and that one, but they don't look at other people's racism, just what they, it's select, bitterness is selective. There's a selective rage. So we're going to take a, a, a fun trip down the Bible, and we're going to look at a few people in the Bible and their side of the story, because I want you to get it in your head that just because, because I used to sit in a counseling session and be told, well, you know, there's two sides of the story. And I knew the situation, and it's like, there are two sides. But one is totally outrageous and false. So just because there's the story, that there really is two sides of the story of equal value. See, that's where we have to get, you know, are they equal? Now, I'm not talking about conflict. Like if I have a, a, a disagreement with Clarence, there's probably a valid thing and we can talk about it. Well, then we can talk about it and we can come to an understanding, an agreement. Maybe there's a misunderstanding somewhere that we can clear up. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the wife beater. Okay, I'm talking about the extreme cases which are trying to be pushed on our culture right now like this is normal. You know, we should have sympathy for the, the, the wife beater, not the wife. You know, it's just, it's messed up. So, all right, so the first one we're going to talk about is Cain. Didn't take long to mess this thing up, did it? Disobeyed God and gave an unacceptable offering. And God tried to, to restore him. In Genesis 4 through 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And unto you shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. Okay, so we have Cain right off the bat for chapter 4 of Genesis. It didn't take long for something to happen. Abel's sacrifice was done in obedience according to what God had laid out. He wanted a blood sacrifice. Everything about sacrifice is about the blood. Cain's sacrifice was full of rebellion. He did it his way. He just, oh, it's time to sacrifice. I think he just went to the garden, picked up a few zucchinis, a few pumpkins, whatever he picked up, and brought it to the altar. But it says in Isaiah 1, 18 to 20, 
Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. And this is when people are full of bitterness. That's what we have to say. Come now, let us reason together. We have to be sure of our position in the matter. So we can say, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Cain set, God set the example for us right there. God tried to get Cain to repent. He didn't just pet Cain and say, oh, bless your heart. Look at that sacrifice. Hey, Gabriel, come here. Look at this sacrifice. Isn't Cain cute? No, God didn't do that. How many times do we do that just to get out of conflict? We let people get away with things and we don't say anything because we're afraid of them. So this is Cain's side of the story. Remember, not every side has equal merit. Cain's side of the story. God hates me. I did my best, but that wasn't good enough. Abel is such a goody two-shoes. I'm going to hurt him because I want to hurt God. All right, so is that so we're listening to Cain's side of the story now. See how it says there's two sides of the story? Yeah, there sure is two sides of the story sometimes. Now you when you have two sides of the story, you've got to have two people with an equal attitude who want to get the conflict resolved. That way you can resolve it if one person has a good heart and they really want to resolve it, and the other person is bitter, then the person with a good heart just has to release it and let it go and move on. Sometimes you've got to distance yourself from that people. And we were told, well, just we just never want to talk to you again. So we discerned in our heart it was just time to move on in this situation. You don't want to talk. You don't want instruction. Then we just have to, we forgive But what are we going to do? So you have to discern the heart of the other person. Are they really willing to have their conflict resolved with you? If they're not really willing, then you've got extra work to do because you don't want to stay in bitterness or get in bitterness. So you have to forgive and release it to the Lord and release them and put them in God's hands. And that's not always easy to do. It's sometimes easier just to resolve the conflict And don't you know the devil knows that? Because anything open, it's like if you have an open file on your computer, anything open can create problems somewhere down the line. So you always want to have closure. You always want to, even if it's a, a conflict where you can only close your side of the matter, and then you just have to let it be. There's nothing you can do. You can't force people to forgive you. You can't force other people. So most of the thing we have to do is move on. You set a boundary and say, well, you know, you, you fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Set a boundary up. There's, there's nothing wrong with setting a boundary and saying, okay, you know, you borrowed $100 from me. You were going to pay it back on Wednesday. Well, here it is Friday, and I haven't seen it, and I need it, and you promised me you would. The next time you want to borrow money, the answer is going to be no. And set a boundary and keep that boundary. Don't let their accusations about their poor childhood 
or how they were wronged or how you don't understand, don't let that influence your decision because then you're going to start getting a bitterness in you if you start giving in. See, God didn't do that with Cain. God just set it up. He said, well, you didn't do it, but you can do it. He left a door open for Cain to repent and get right. And see, this is what God does. He leaves it as a pattern for us. Stand our ground, stand it firmly, know exactly what we're saying, say it in the spirit of righteousness. But if they don't do it, it's not on you, it's on them. Just like the wife beater. You know, don't let him when, you know, he was eight years old and now he's 35. You know, don't let that, you know, oh, you know, that's so, you had such a bad childhood. Well, you know, a lot of people have bad childhoods. A lot of people have overcome their bad childhood. So the fact that some people stay stuck there, but many people have overcome a bad start in life, that tells me that if you, if there are people that overcome it, that tells me that it can be done. That this victimhood, this victim thing is, is totally from the, the pit of hell. You know, so if your kids are accusing you of, you know, well, it was your fault and they're now in their 40s and 50s and they're still turning, just turn it back at them. Say, you know, when are you going to grow up? I've apologized 25 times, 2,500 times, and you don't want to accept the apology. Well, I can't help you. Okay, on to the next example. Is this helping anybody? Okay, next example, King Saul. He became bitter and jealous over David. His bitterness blinded him to the fact that he disobeyed God. He disobeyed God. David didn't disobey God. He did. Samuel tried to bring Saul to repentance, and he even wept over him until God told him to stop. 1 Samuel 16.1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Okay, two sides to the story. You want to hear Saul's side? Everybody loves David. All the people chose me to be their king. It's the people's fault. Remember when he brought those am, the animals from the Amalekites? And Samuel said, what's that bleeding I hear? And he goes, oh, the people said. How many times do you get people that are in bitterness blame somebody else? Oh, the people told me to take the best of the animals to sacrifice it to your God. It was the people's fault in Saul's case. I, I didn't do anything. It was the people. Not my fault. Okay, moving on. The older son became bitter when his father had a party for the returning younger son in Luke 15. The father tried to reason with him, but the son wouldn't listen. So what's his side of the story? My father loves my brother more than me. Well, what's the use of obeying him? I wasted my whole life working for my father. And what do I get out of it? I get nothing. That's the voice of bitterness. Do you hear the voice of bitterness? Now when somebody talks to you, maybe you can discern the voice of bitterness a little better when you start to hear these things. You know, nobody came and helped me. 
I didn't get the fatted calf. I've been working all my life for my father. And what did the father say? Son, all you have is mine. Could have asked. So that's the voice of bitterness. Okay. One more. And we're going to talk about Satan. Isaiah 14, 12 through 16. How have you fallen from heaven, O light bringer and day star, son of the morning? How have you been cut down to the ground, you who have weakened and laid low the nations? O blasphemous satanic king of Babylon, and you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the assembly in the uttermost north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Hades, to the innermost recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms? So Satan's side of the story. Remember, there's two sides of the story. Satan's side. God is mean and hateful and wants to control. God is not who he says he is. So we can see not all sides have equal merit. I hope that helps you. And it's true that when there's a conflict, sometimes there's not two legitimate sides of the story. And we just need to have discernment to know what is legitimate. Because if somebody has a legitimate conflict, then we need to do our best to resolve it with them. If it's not legitimate, then we don't have any business getting involved with it. And we need to tell them, you are in bitterness. You need to repent, especially if they're Christians. If they're non-Christians, then there's nothing you can do. You can tell them, you know, you have a problem with unforgiveness. Maybe it'll open up a witness to them. But bitter people refuse to let go of offenses, and they always have excuses and blame others. And they need help. They really need help. But you've got to pray that God will open up a door for you to help them. But if you're just trying to be the nice little Christian where, okay, everybody's got two sides. There's two sides of this story, so I guess I have to have to give you validation for your side of the story. And then they tell you this long, drawn-out story about their childhood and how mean people were to them and how this makes their... But God says you are without excuse. All have sinned. So we have to be careful when we're dealing with unforgiveness and bitterness. We have to know who we're dealing with on the other side of the conflict. And you can do it in love. You can do it in the love of God. God wasn't mean to Cain. God wasn't mean to Saul. In the parable of the, the, the prodigal son, he wasn't mean to them. He always entreated them. But he didn't get involved with the wickedness and the venom and the stuff that was coming their way. Like I said last week, if somebody says something mean about well, let's say somebody said something mean about my husband to Francis. Francis would say, I know that's not his character. Let's just go and we'll straighten it out with him. And a lot of times it stops it right there. It's like, uh, no, I don't want to go to him. It, it, 
you know, but that's how you stop a lot of gossip. That's how you stop a lot of things that go underneath the church. It's like, well, you know, I know that's not his character, but let's go. Maybe we should straighten this out right now. And you'll see they'll back up and go, um, no, I don't think so. Because I've had to do that with people not here, but up in Pittsfield, because I knew people. And, and it's like, well, I know that doesn't sound like them. Let's just go straighten it out right now. Because people come in, they'll try to stir up stuff. Because they're they've got bitterness in their heart somewhere. They can't help it. That's just their nature. They can't help it. That's what they do. They need to repent. They need to bring it to the altars where they need to bring it. It says in James 13, 14, or 3, 14 to 16, For if you have bitter jealousy, envy, and contention in your hearts, do not pride yourselves on it, and thus be in defiance of and false to the truth. This superficial wisdom is not such as comes from above, but is unearthly, unspiritual, and even devilish. For wherever there is jealousy and contention, there will also be confusion, unrest, disharmony, and rebellion, and all sorts of evil and vile practices. That's why it's important to stay in peace. That's why it's important to know who you are in Christ and walk in righteousness. And that's why if you allow God, God can convict, bring conviction to that bitter person if you just yield your mouth to him and don't get upset at the wife beater when he's trying to blame him beating his wife when he's 45 years old and he's beating his wife and he's trying to blame it on his childhood if something happened when he was 10 years old that made him like this, then you can respond with the love of God and bring correction. But don't let them continue to blame other people. Then that's it. And if they continue in that, you just have to walk away. You say what you've got to say, you wash your hands of it and walk away. Keep the door open if there's true repentance. But people like that can really drain your life. They can sow seeds of bitterness in you when you start thinking. It's kind of like self-pity. See, all of these different areas are so related. They're all like kissing cousins because they're all related in one way or another. If that seed of bitterness gets planted, you got to be careful. You don't get bitter too. Bitterness sows discord. It causes unhealthy separation between God and healthy relationships. Why do you think people leave churches and they don't come back? I mean, we know people that have left churches and they don't go anywhere. And I'm not going to blame COVID for that. They don't go anywhere because they have a root of bitterness that has come between them and a healthy relationship. And the devil sits there and lies to them and tells them all these things. And I mean, up here in Texas... Massachusetts, I'd say, is a little bit different. It's a, it is definitely a little harder to find a good church up there because there are just a handful. Here, there's good churches dotted all over the place. You can find another church. You can. But the separation from God and healthy relationships is what the devil's end game is. To separate, it's, it's always to separate and isolate. If he can't get you with self-pity, He'll try unforgiveness. If he can't get you with unforgiveness, he'll get you with bitterness. To separate you from the body and keep you separated. Why? Because a separated sheep is open prey to the wolf. They often, when you stop going to church, you cut yourself off from people who might be able to help you. 
to get you through. We need to keep each other. We need to have each other's back. You know, when a rule that Clarence and I, I don't know if a rule, but just a, something that at our marriage, one of my marriage vows to him is that I will never say anything about Clarence that I won't say to him. And that's a good rule for anybody. I won't say anything about my husband that he doesn't already know that I say. And I'm not going to say everything about my husband because I love him. Right? (laughs) But I mean, that's the way we should be with everybody. I will never say anything about any of you that I would not say to you to your face. I don't think it's fair to say something behind somebody's back that's hateful and why why start this? We're all human. We all make mistakes. We all do things. My style may not be your style. Can't help it. This we've all had different walks. We've all come to this place in different things. Think. So we want to be careful what we say. We've always got to guard our mouth, guard our heart, especially now in these last days. Zechariah 8, 16 and 17. These are the things that you shall do. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your heart against your neighbor. And love no false oath for all these things that I hate, says the Lord. We have to cast down these evil imaginations. It's freeing when you let them go because then you don't have to control somebody else's behavior or worry about their response to you. That's just the wind blowing the door open. Is that amazing? I locked that one door. That did just that one. So it's wisdom to obey God rather than to cut yourself off from him. So we need to learn how to forgive, and we need to guard against bitterness. If you don't deal with unforgiveness, it'll control how you act and think. It turns into bitterness. The thoughts overtake your mind. Remember when we talked about the brain and how it makes the magic trees and the branches? Well, that thing with bitterness is like a fast-growing cancer. It'll overtake your mind. Besides another person... You can harbor unforgiveness against yourself, against God, against church, against a, a grocery store, everything and anything. You can harbor unforgiveness against the town, the people in the town. There's there's a whole list of things. The devil, he's kind of like a global disruptor. He throws all kinds of things out to see which one will stick. So how do you know if you have bitter roots? Well, here we go. What's your behavior like when nobody else is looking behind the smile in your home? What's your behavior like? It's the first thing you have to analyze, and only you can do that. Isn't that great? God gives us a self-test that nobody else has to know about. We just examine our own behavior. We examine our own words. We examine what we say. We examine our attitude. Another one, how do you react under pressure? If there's a bitter thing, it's going to come out at the most un, un what? 
inappropriate times. If there's something bitter in there, it's going to come out. Are you quick to forgive someone and let a matter drop? You might say you're quick to forgive and then, you know, you bring it home and that's all you're talking about all afternoon is how they did that to you. Are you a complainer and do you criticize others? This is how we know if we have bitter roots. If we complain, we criticize or do you feel like you're entitled to your bad behavior because of past disappointments and past hurts? Forgiveness is not a suggestion. If you want the blessings to flow, you need to have resolution of conflicts, past or present. And like Clarence said last week, if you need to go to the graveside and forgive, sometimes you need to do that. Refusing to love is contrary to God's spirit. And until you recognize your own need for grace and mercy each day, you will not cry out to God for his grace and mercy. We need grace and mercy every single day. Every one of us do. Because even though we're spiritual beings, we still have the mind that needs to be renewed. Self-righteousness will not allow you to see your need for mercy, but it will continue to allow you to excuse why you cannot forgive somebody else. If we're self-righteous, we can be very quick to point out somebody else's like that tax collector. He pointed out everything about the publican and everything about sinners, but he didn't want to look at his own behavior. Refusing to love is is contrary to God's spirit, and we need God's help to totally forgive. Sometimes when somebody does things really hurtful to you, like what we ministered last week with Jesus on the cross, he experienced every hurtful thing that we could ever, ever think of. He experienced it when he was, before he came on the cross, where they beat him and everything else. Every hurtful thing was already experienced by Jesus. And he said, Father, forgive him. Okay, that was a spiritual thing. He did it as a man, but he also did it as God. Father, forgive them. So we need spiritual grace to forgive because it's not a natural thing. It's not something that controls the people. It's something that's spiritual. Obey the law of love. It'll produce righteousness that'll give us the grace to forgive people and let it go. So what does true conflict resolution look like? Colossians three thirteen through 15. Be gentle and forbearing with one another, and if one has a difference against another, readily pardoning each other, even as the Lord has freely forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love and enfold yourselves with the bond of perfectness, which binds everything together completely in ideal harmony. And let peace, soul harmony, which comes from Christ, rule, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind in that peaceful state, to which as member of Christ's one body you were also called to live. Be thankful, giving praise to God always. Let God's peace rule you. You know when you've totally forgiven is when you have a spiritual peace, not a phony peace. Because a lot of people say they have peace about something and it's like, eh, yeah, but that's going against what God's word says. So you don't have a good peace about it. When you have true peace in your heart, then you know that the conflict is resolved. 
at least it's resolved on your part, so you're not responsible for keeping that other person in bondage. And you can move on. You've got peace in your heart. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to be best buddies. It doesn't mean that. But if you have true peace in your heart with it, maybe at some later point, God can restore the relationship. See, we take time. I mean, look at how long it's taken Sister Frances's leg to heal. And sometimes emotional wounds take time. They take when we have to be, remember that, because some people are saying, well, just get over it. Well, you know, it, you can't sometimes just get over it. You know, you can't just get over it. The, the wife who was beaten by her husband, well, just get over it, forgive him and move on. No, it doesn't happen like that. So we have to understand that forgiveness is is a process too. Some things are tiny and you can get over it. There's a misunderstanding. Just get over it and you move on. Other things are a little bit deeper. Like that leg is a little bit deeper than just, you know, if I cut my thumb with a paper, piece of paper. I pretty much get over it. I go like, ow, I cut my finger. Put a Band-Aid on it, and I'm, I'm done with it. But that leg is taking a while. And see, that's what emotional wounds sometimes are like a paper cut, and sometimes they're like a deep wound. But God has the grace for us, and he has the healing for us. And we don't know the things that go on in the process of healing there's things that go on that we can't even see. So we forgive by faith a lot of times, and then our emotions will catch up with us at some point. Because a lot of times, you know, when you're first offended, or uh, off, uh, offense is different than betrayal. Because betrayal is cuts, it's like that leg wound. That's like that wit. You know, offense is, you know, your hair looks funny today. And it's like, oh, I'm momentarily offended. But then I, eh, okay, you know, that's your definition. I'm okay with it. And I, I, I go on my way. But betrayal is another thing. It cuts a little deeper. So it's going to take a while to walk through that. But you can with God's grace. And what you do is you say, well, God, my heart is right. I want to forgive I'm not quite there with my emotions, but I speak the words that I forgive by faith. And then I'm trusting you to help me to get my emotions in line with what I've done spiritually. You know, it's like when they say, well, you've prayed for a miracle and you receive it, but it just hasn't manifested yet. Sometimes the feeling of forgiving that person hasn't manifested yet. And that's when you're going to have to do warfare. When those thoughts come in your mind, of bitterness and anger and what they've done to you, what you say is you go, I have forgiven. And God is making my emotions catch up with my quality decision to forgive. So that's how we forgive. We forgive by faith. We forgive because we love that other person. And then we move on. But it, there's there's that process of it. So if you get back, it's not didn't forgive it's just your emotions your emotions are in the natural realm of course they're going to go bonkers they want to revisit it they want justice they want their way and that's when you you tell your emotions that you are a spiritual creature 
and you are going to succumb and you are going to submit to the will of God which says forgive. So you're going to release it. And see, you keep pouring that oil on it, pouring that oil on it, and then eventually that thing has nothing to put its hooks into because there's so much oil from the Holy Ghost that it has no place to go but just fall off of you. And then one day you'll just forget about it. And you wake up and you go, oh, I don't even feel that anymore. I don't feel that hurt anymore. So sometimes it's that process. But when you have a a place of peace where you are able to sincerely pray for those who have offended you, look at what God says will happen to them. In Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire upon his head and the Lord will reward you. But this is the footnote in the Amplified Bible. This is what it says about heaping coals on your enemy's head. This is not to be understood as a revengeful act intended to embarrass its victims, but just the opposite. The picture is that of the high priest who on the day of atonement took his censer and filled it with coals of fire from off the altar of burnt offering then put incense on the coals to create a pleasing, sweet-smelling fragrance. The cloud or smoke of the incense covered the mercy seat and was acceptable to God for atonement. So we heap heaping coals upon their head for their good, for the atonement. He shall take, and it says in Leviticus, he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the bronze altar before the Lord and his two hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, in that cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the ark of testimony, lest he die. So what we're doing is we're entreating the Lord for that other person. Greater love has no man than he that lays down his life. So that's why we have to tell our emotions, no, I'm sorry, we've forgiven And I'm going to pray for that other person because that's what God tells me to do. And we say it not like I'm going to pray because that's what God tells me to do. That's the right. So you need to go back and you need to maybe forgive again and ask God to forgive you for your attitude. And then you tell your emotions to catch up with your quality decision. But when we don't forgive, we become like the judge who exercises his discretionary power to punish rather than to forgive. We don't ever want to be judges. Judge not, it says in Luke 6.37, judge not, neither pronouncing judgment nor subjecting to censure, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and pronounce guilty, acquit and forgive and release, and you will be acquitted and forgiven and released. When you forgive, you need to choose You need to choose God. Release the catalog of offenses against you so that God can release your catalog of offenses. We need to release them. But forgiveness, it doesn't minimize or excuse the offense against you. Okay? Because somebody does something awful to you and you choose to forgive them, that doesn't mean, that doesn't minimize that something bad happened to you. Like if somebody shot me and I forgive them, it doesn't minimize the fact that I was shot by them. That doesn't minimize it. It's still I've still got the bullet hole to prove that I was shot and hurt. It doesn't minimize it, but it's going to help my healing a whole lot. 
So what we have to do at that point is we have to set up another boundary with that person. You know, if they're always verbally putting you down, if they're or physically hurting you, you need to set up a boundary with them and say, okay, you know, I'm forgiving you, but this isn't going to happen again. You know, the act of forgiving some, someone only causes you to consciously acknowledge that they're wrong and purposely choose to pardon them, but in the right attitude, because sometimes there really are two sides of the story. Sometimes we did something. Sometimes we said something. So that's where our discernment needs to come in. What was our part in it? Not like the wife beater scenario, but sometimes they're equal. There's just a misunderstanding. There's a difference between a misunderstanding with people and then somebody's trying to bully and get you to just be quiet about it and get you to forgive them. And their, their heart isn't right. But this is where it comes with discernment from the Lord. We desperately need God's forgiveness, but we set a boundary after. So it doesn't happen again. I don't want to get shot twice, right? How many want to get shot twice? You've been shot here, and then you're going to say, well, okay, you know, next time shoot me over here, okay? You're not going to do that. You're going to set up a boundary. You're going to take the gun away. You're going to put them in prison. You're going to do something so that they don't shoot you again. Set up a boundary. It's not unchristian to prevent people from stealing from you, from scamming you. That's not an unchristian thing to do. So you have to sometimes reprogram your mind and say, okay, there's sometimes two sides of the story, but this one is not equally merit. You don't have equal merit in this. So let's look in closing the the symptoms of unforgiveness. And this was taken from David Seaman's book, Healing of Damaged Emotions. It's an old book. I I don't think they even do this anymore. I don't even think they publish it. But it was good. It was a good book. So besides self pity, there are other symptoms to watch out for, including resentment, anger, striving, keeping record of offenses, and anxiety. If you're struggling with the symptoms, these are fruits in your life which can which can stress, emotional and physical problems, strife and torment. So if you're anxious, if you have a lot of issues in your emotions, if you've got a lot of physical issues, they can be tied to unforgiveness. They can be. Unforgiveness likes to hide. And mostly it hides behind pride and self-righteousness. That's not a shock. If you can't see where you have unforgiveness, ask the Holy Spirit. Sometimes God will bring back something that you haven't forgiven. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And he's going to remove the blinders and say, Lord, you know, I've got these symptoms. I'm anxious all the time. I'm, I've, I've got a quick temper. I'm... I'm bitter, I I isolate myself. Can you show me the root of the problem? And he'll bring you right to the root because he's faithful. And so it says in Ephesians 1.7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the remission of our offenses in accordance with the richness and the generosity of his gracious favor. Hebrews 9.22, In fact, under the law, almost everything is purified by means of blood, And without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sins. 
So we have to look at our own selves and say, okay, God, you know, I have symptoms. It's like if you've got symptoms of something, you go to the doctor and then he diagnoses you and then you do from there whatever you do. So this is an unforgiveness test. It's only three, four, and we're not going to, like, grade you on it, so you can relax. Let's see if you have areas of self-pity or if there's somebody that you need to forgive, including yourself or God. Because sometimes, like Cain got mad at God, he wasn't necessarily mad at Abel. He was more mad because God didn't accept his sacrifice and he took it out on Abel. So sometimes we can be mad at God and we... Of course, we're all too spiritual and religious to mention, to even admit that we're mad at God. But sometimes we could be mad at God. For a little while there, I was mad that God gave me the parents that he gave me until I realized I wouldn't be the person I was today without my mom and dad. You know, why couldn't I have been somebody else's daughter? So sometimes we do get mad at God. Sometimes we get mad at ourselves. Well, if only I had done this. And we can't forgive ourselves, but we have to forgive ourselves too. So, number one, we have a resentment test. Is there someone you harbor resentment for that you've never resolved? So, you know you have resentment for that. How many of you know when you have resentment? I mean, I pretty much know when I, I have resentment the way I talk about somebody or the way I feel about somebody. You know, have you developed an attitude against a person or an organization so that you find fault with them constantly? Well, you might have resentment there. So that's something to consider when you're looking at unforgiveness. That's why I've got to get this off about this Kroger thing. I said, God, you know, I love that store, but I can't shop there anymore. You're going to start surcharging associates because they're not vaccinated. So what's next? I'm going to get a surcharge. So I had to stop it and say, okay, you know, we're in Texas, plenty of other options. So just shake the dust off and move forward. So I'm not going to develop resentment to them. Two, responsibility test. Do you take responsibility for your own faults and failures, or do you blame others for what happened to you? So remember, blaming someone else for your behavior elevates that person to a position of God in your life. If you blame others, you're making them God. When you're saying that you, what you're saying is that you're being led by that person. If you elevate them and you blame your childhood or your spouse or You know, there's a lot of, oh, you were unfairly treated at the church. You know, everybody hates you at work. All these things, they elevate themselves to the position of being God. Holy Spirit is supposed to lead us. We're not supposed to be led by our emotions at all. So that's a responsibility test. This third one's kind of funny. Reminder and reaction test. Do you find yourself reacting against a person because he or she remind you of someone else? If so, you have unforgiveness against that person who you're reminded of. My son used to, when he was littler, well, now he's 41, so he's not little anymore, but when he was about 10 or 11, he used to do this thing like, 
And I wanted to sock him because he looked just like his father when he did it. That's it. See, I didn't have the tools then, what I have now, but it was, I had unforgiveness against his dad. Because every time he'd do that, I just wanted to take him and choke him. It's like, you mocking me with that? He'd go, oh. and it would be like, so the reminder reaction test. You know, it could be a, a, a word, you know, everybody's triggered these days about, you know, triggered and sensitive and safe spaces. Well, if somebody truly triggers you like that, you better examine it. You know, it might be a gesture. It might be something that they say that maybe reminds you of somebody that used to say that. And, you know, maybe somebody will innocently say, get over it. And it to you, it's like, because it reminds you of when somebody really hurt you and then said, get over it, and you haven't forgiven them yet. So the reminder reaction test, very important. Number four, are you afraid of confronting people because of your past experiences? If then, if that's yes, then let's ask God to help you to verbalize successfully. I had a problem with that because I was always the wallflower and I never said anything. So I've had to ask God to help me to be a little bit bolder. I'm working on it and I'm, I'm somewhere on the spectrum. I'm not quite sure where I am, but I'm working on it because I was never one to speak up. So I've had to learn how to speak up. And it's very difficult. If you haven't learned how to speak up, it's difficult to do. So I'm going to pray for all of you. And I'm going to pray particularly for that last one because sometimes we tend to take things that we really don't have to take just because we're afraid to speak up. But that the danger for that is that you can get in a lot of unforgiveness like that because you, you know, somehow you manage to get in these situations just because somebody's bullied you into it. And I hate to say bullied because it's like an overuse right now because everybody's bullying everybody, it seems. But, you know, if you've been, if, you, if you're kind of on the timid wallflower type thing, then I'm going to pray for you. God's going to give you a backbone so that you can confront those things that need to be confronted. I mean, don't run out of here like a bull in a china shop and, you know, start knocking on people's doors. Hey, we have a doorbell now, so if you ever go to our front doorbell or back doorbell, you don't have to knock. You can ring the doorbell. Um, But, you know, don't go running down the street confronting people with your newfound, you know, freedom and your newfound backbone. But some of us just need a a bigger backbone, a straighter one. Because sometimes it's easier to say, oh, you know, just let it go than it is to deal with things. And sometimes things need to be dealt with rather than just let go. Amen? Especially if we're starting to feel like we're, being used or, you know, that people do things to us and we're always the ones to have to say, well, just forget about it. It's okay. If you say that, let's mean it. And let's not just be afraid of them. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I just ask, Father, that you help us in those areas of unforgiveness. Father, those areas of bitterness. Father, those areas that just... We need the oil of the Holy Ghost just to help us to forgive. Father, just to move on. Father, we seal that in the name of Jesus. 
Father, that we would walk these things out. We wouldn't be under condemnation. Father, when the voice of the devil comes and says, oh, you've already forgiven them, and well, you, why are you thinking those thoughts? You're such a bad Christian. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just take authority. In the name of Jesus, every mind-binding spirit that would keep these saints of God in, in bondage over unforgiveness and bitterness, Father God, we are thanking you. We release them from their assignment. Father, they're loosed in the name of Jesus. And Father, we're speaking timid soul. Every soul that's that from childhood they've been afraid and haven't spoke up and haven't haven't stood their ground. Father, I thank you that you just grow a spiritual backbone. Father, I thank you that you're growing mine. You're growing mine. And Father God, we just thank you for that backbone. Father, we thank you, Lord, that each person walks in the righteousness of God. Father, each person, when they open their mouth, Father, that your words pour out. Father, if there's a situation where they're being bullied or being just um, being told that, well, this is two sides of the story and you got to accept mine and validate mine. Father God, that we would rise up in the name of Jesus and we would speak the words that you would have us to say. Father, not to condemn that person, but to free that person in the name of Jesus. Father, we are thanking you, and we declare that we walk in the peace of God. We walk in the righteousness of God. And, Father God, every every accusation against us that says that you are unrighteous, that you are a bitter, unforgiving person, God, we just take authority in the name of Jesus. Father, the Pharisees didn't like it when Jesus confronted them. And Father God, we are speaking to that Pharisaical spirit in the name of Jesus. Father, we speak to those religious spirits that have bound people in the name of Jesus. Father, we sever that in Jesus' name and our mind, our will, and our emotions. Father God, and we declare freedom to the captives. And we are thanking you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that as we forgive, you have... You now have legal authority to forgive us. And Father, we can walk out of here peaceful. We can walk out of here powerful. And we walk can walk out of here, Lord, to help others, to put those coals on the altar for them. And God, we just thank you and we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I tell you what. I think we've all experienced unforgiveness, <laughs> resentment, and uh, pride, <laughs> and sin. <laughs> because did you know all of those come under one category, sin? Every one of them come under that one category, sin. Amen. Well, aren't you glad that the Lord... Cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. And when he taught us on forgiveness, that's what he taught us to do is forgive. When you forgive, you don't bring it up again. Hallelujah. I think one of the hardest things to do, I've always been in a bigger city, okay? I've always been in a bigger town and more populated area. Uh, I've just always been there. That's where we've lived. (laughs) 
It's different when you come to a smaller community. Because somebody come up to me and say, do you know so-and-so from that church? I said, well, I've heard the name. Well, you don't want to get along with them, you know. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it seems like in a smaller community, everybody knows everybody. And they know everybody's sins. They know everybody's failures. They know everybody's bank accounts. You know, <laughs> Amen. But you know, aren't you glad, though, that we can be like Jesus? Don't look at people suspiciously all the time. But, Lord, we look at them with mercy and love because God's on our side. Hey, look in the mirror. God forgave you. <laughs> and he can certainly forgive anybody else. Amen. Oh, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask is to be like Him all through life's journey. From earth to glory, all I ask is to be like Him. That should be the prayer of every one of us. Amen. I've had people come up to me and say, Brother Clarence, I can't wait till I get out of the ministry. I can be just like you. I said, you don't want to be just like me. You want to be like Jesus. You want to be what he's called you to be. Amen. I know we take on personal, you know, antics of people and we, we, we see things. My dad had things. I mimicked him at times, you know. When I say mimics, you know what I mean? I just kind of took on that personality too. But you know what? Then one day God showed me that I'm, I'm me. And God wants to use you. Amen. Praise God. Well, thank you all for coming. We'll be here tonight, too, if you want to come back. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you all next time.